Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Um, we're, we're continuing our summer series. We're, we're doing a summer vacation series, and today we are... Uh, and as I was thinking about road trips, I, I, I'm sure there are many in here who've had the experience that I've had. You're on a trip, you think you're going where you need to be going, and you're not. Um, when, I, when I was uh, in high school, my, my stepfather, he was trying to start this cattle feed and horse feed business, and he sent myself and another one of my colleagues to Macon to get some uh, fertilizer or feed, something that we were supposed to bring back. So we get there to Macon, we eat lunch. I drove up there, I got to make that point. I drove up there, and then I got in a truck and went to sleep, and my buddy drove back. And he woke me up, I don't know how long it was into the trip, but he said, Josh, we got a blowout tires blown out. I got a soccer game back in Brandon. I need to get back, but uh, he, he tells me that we got a blowout. So I, I wake up, we assess the situation, and then I call my stepdad, and I said, hey, uh, Grumpy, that's his, that's his name. I said, Grumpy, we had a blowout. Uh, I need some help. And he said, well, where are you? Bingo. He called me Bingo. And I said, we're about, well, the sign up here says 10 miles to Tuscaloosa. And I can't tell you what he told me after that, uh, other than he, he asked us why we went that way, and my buddy Will that was driving, he said, well, we went up on I-20 East, so I thought we'd go back on I-20 East. He was not an Eagle Scout. So this is a, it's a funny, it's a comical story of someone going on a trip, they think they're going somewhere and they're going in the wrong direction, and everything turned out okay, I'm glad to say, I made it through it. Um, but not all trips are like that, you know. Um, the, the, the Proverbs tell us there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. And so there's a way that we can be going a, a, in a trajectory that we think is right, but it's wrong. Um, last week, <clears throat> Richard started our series, and, and he took us on a road trip. We, we looked at the story of our father in the faith, Abraham. And, and, and Abraham's call to leave his family and, and to go to this place where God had told him, and he trusted God. We looked at what faith looked like, the faith of a, a follower of the Lord. And so today we're picking up on another road trip with, with Saul of Tarsus, or as most of you know him, uh, the Apostle Paul. And, and I would argue after Jesus Christ and the work that he, he, he did on the cross in his life, death, and resurrection, the Apostle Paul is, I would say, the most important person in human history after Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at his story today. We're going to look at his, his conversion. I mean, there would be no Westminster Church if it wasn't for the Apostle Paul. But I think it's more appropriate to say there'd be no Westminster Church if God did not love to save sinners. Just like Abraham, Paul was not chosen because he was awesome. He was chosen because God loves to save sinners. The same reason that you are here today. God loves to save sinners for His glory. So let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 9. <clears throat> Acts chapter 9, we're going to read verses 1 through 9 in just a moment. But remember that the book of Acts 
It's Luke's second volume. He, he wrote the gospel according to Luke. The, the book of Acts is his second volume, and it highlights throughout this book, it highlights and details the promises of God coming to fruition. That's why we read that promise back in Genesis 12 uh, in our Old Testament reading, because this is the book of Acts is showing us these promises coming to fruition. The book of Acts, uh, it, it highlights the spreading of the gospel and the sending of the Holy Spirit as the Lord is gathering his people to himself and then sending them out to carry that message. You know, one of the great ironies that we find in Scripture is that the spread of the gospel was actually fueled by persecution. What, what people meant to do to harm the church and to keep the church from spreading and to keep the gospel, gospel from spreading actually served to further it. And that's where we meet the Apostle Paul, or as he's known here, Saul. In, in Acts 6, uh, we, we see the first diaconate installed, and then Stephen, a deacon, he gives a, a glorious retelling of redemptive history, showing how the Scriptures are pointing to Christ, and that these men who thought they were doing right had actually murdered the author of life, but he had risen from the dead. And after he gives that speech, the elders and the scribes and the high priest, they were enraged with Stephen. They hated him, and they cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him to death. And it says, The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And then Saul went on ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, and committed them to prison. So we see, because of this persecution, the church was spreading outward, to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, just like the Lord said it, said it would. And one thing that we need to take note of here is nothing can stop the power of God and the promises of God. So with the scene set, let's read Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 9. This is God's word. <clears throat> but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked, asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, uh, we need your help this morning. I need your help um, to preach your word faithfully. 
Um, We ask you to make it effectual in our hearts that you would awaken unbelievers to their sin and their need of a Savior. And then you would awaken them to the reality that there is a Savior in Jesus Christ. Help us who are believers, help us to uh, grow in grace in the knowledge of you and help us to grow in our love for one another and for our neighbor. And may we carry this message like these disciples did in this book. May we carry it to the ends of the earth as we go out into the world. And we ask you to be with us as you've promised to do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so in this passage, we see that God, he loves to save sinners. He, He confronts them in their sin. He converts them. And then he commissions them. So God, he loves to save sinners. He confronts them in their sin. He converts them and then he commissions them. And so first, God loves to save sinners. He confronts them. I could say he confronts us. See, Saul, he was a young, zealous Hebrew of Hebrews. He had it all together according to the the Pharisaical standard. And he was taking a road trip to Damascus to try and stop the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He hated these people. He hated Jesus. It says he was filled with hatred for the people of the way. And when we see that, the people of the way, this is speaking of Christians before our brothers and sisters were actually called Christians. They were called people of the way because they claimed to have the way to life. That's what Jesus said. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So he he wanted to kill these people. He wanted to imprison them and have them killed. And what we learn from these first two verses in chapter 9 is that Saul, his hatred knows no bounds. He's traveling to Damascus, which is about 130 miles away from Jerusalem. And T-Mac and I were trying to figure out how long this would take to walk or be on a donkey or something like that. I mean, this, you know, we're talking three to four days of traveling, probably more than that, out in the elements to carry out a murderous threat, to take these people captive. I mean, he didn't Uber a ride there, right? He's going in the elements. He hates them. We also learn from these two verses, the first two in chapter 9, that the message of Jesus Christ had spread 130 miles, right? Or else he wouldn't need to go to Damascus. But they there, they're believing this gospel. And so the message was spreading. Men and women were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul went there to take them into custody. So we see here that Paul, he's no respecter of persons. Men, women, whoever it is that believes this message and who is spreading it, he was coming to get you. He didn't care for the children that they had, the families that they had at home, how he would leave them hopeless and helpless if he took mother and father away. I just want you to get a picture of the hatred that this man has. And then it says in verse 3, we see that as he went on his way, As he went on his way and approached Damascus, suddenly a bright light, brighter than the noonday sun, shone around him. And so in this moment, 
we see the Apostle Paul who's bent on destruction and who deserves destruction himself. He is encountered by the living God. And he appears to him in a bright light, so bright, brighter than the sun at noonday, so intense that Paul fell to the ground and eventually he's blinded for a time. And then a voice, the very voice of Jesus himself, says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Think of this. The Lord, he comes down to meet this violent, hateful opponent of his, and he stops him in his tracks. And I want to I pause here and remind us in here that there are some in here that need to be confronted by Jesus. Well, we all need it at some point, but there's some in here who you're not a believer in Christ. And you need to be confronted by Jesus. You're on your own Damascus road. You know, you're not traveling with letters from the high priest to take people captive. But you may be a child who's violating the law of God. You dishonor your parents. You're called to honor your father and mother. And you dishonor, dishonor your parents disobey your parents. It may be youth. I mean, you, that, that, that one could apply to anybody in this room, but youth who are saying things and doing things that you know are a violation of, the, of, of God's word. But we think, who cares, right? Nothing's happened to me yet. That's how I thought when I was a teenager. Thought I was pretty good. Nothing's happened to me yet. It says in, in the Psalms that the fool says in their heart there is no God. And that's essentially what we say when we choose to live a life of sin. There is no God. I don't believe what's being taught. Maybe an adult, right? Um, you, you, you know, uh, you've heard what the Word says. You know what is right. And yet you continue to stiffen your neck. And reject the call of God to repent and believe in Christ. Putting it off for another day when there may not be another day. So, Jesus, he confronts us on our path to destruction this morning. And he commands everyone here to repent and to believe the gospel. And I can say that by the power of his word. That's what he says. We must do it today, for if we put it off, he will confront you in the day of judgment. And there will be no mercy in that day. You know, others in here, you remember that day of confrontation. You're a believer in Christ, but you are living your life for yourself. And you believe things were just fine. You were as good as the next guy, or you at least weren't as bad as that one. And Jesus confronted you through the preaching of the word. And like David, in that moment, you, know, you, were, you, you weren't acknowledging yourself to be a sinner, but then Christ, the Lord, comes to you by the Spirit, and, and He says, you are the man, you are the sinner. If you're a believer in Christ, that has happened at some point in your life. And praise God that He doesn't just leave us in this state of confrontation. 
If you feel confronted by his word today, he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us in this state. It's unfathomable mercy, just like the, 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 the murderous Saul received. I mean, think about it. What does Saul deserve here? What do we deserve? Saul deserved in that moment to be knocked off whatever he was riding, a donkey, a horse. He deserved to be knocked off in that moment by a torrent of fire and perish for eternity. But what does he get? He gets a word from Jesus. He gets a word from the Lord, a word that is indeed a fire that burns away the heart of stone. And this is where we see that God loves to save sinners. He doesn't just confront them in their sin. He converts them. He gives them a new heart. So the Lord confronts Saul in his sin, but he doesn't leave him there. And we all know that it's not enough to be told that we have violated God's law. That leaves us helpless and hopeless and burdened. It's not enough to be told that. One must be converted. One must be born again. And Jesus, here he tells Saul to rise and enter the city and await his assignment in verse 6. And then in verses 7 and 9, we see that Saul, uh, his traveling companions, they were speechless because of what they just heard. And they led Saul by the hand to Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And so think of that. What was going on with him in these three days? You think of this mighty Saul going out to, 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 to murder and take captives. And now he's, he's knocked off his uh, donkey. He's on the ground. He, he, he's blind. He's having to be led by the hand, completely helpless. He can't see. He's not speaking. He's not eating. What's going on with him in this moment? This man, this Hebrew of Hebrews, according to the law, or at least his understanding of the law, he was, he was righteous and blameless. He believed he was doing what was right. He was of the strict order of the Pharisees, and yet this man needed to be converted. He needed to be born again. And this is a, this is, it's a glorious thought to see his conversion, but it's also a terrifying thought to think that he can check off all the external boxes. And according to the Pharisee, he's, he's, he's prime real estate. He can, he can, he's checking off all the boxes, and yet he was lost. And we hear that week in and week out, that we can, we can come to church and we can do you know, religious things or good deeds here and there, but yet be completely lost because we've never put our faith in Christ. We've never rested in Christ. Paul here, perhaps what's going on is, you know, we read about it in Romans 7. There was a moment in Paul's life, if you read through Romans chapter 7, there's a moment when what he read, thou shall not covet, it actually came, it, it came into his heart. The Spirit made him realize that he was indeed a coveter. This is what the Spirit does to us. Opens our eyes that we have violated God's law. Maybe this is what was going on here. I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure it was because he was, this is a moment where he was saved. And then we read in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24, that, that this moment was a moment where Jesus actually reveals the gospel to the apostle Paul, where Paul received the gospel message from Jesus. 
And he goes on to write in Philippians that whatever gain he had, he considered it loss for the sake of Christ. And for his sake, he would now suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that he may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of his own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. The Apostle Paul had a major paradigm shift. He's, he's born again. The Spirit applies the truth of the Word to his heart. And he realizes that he can't earn his salvation. That all the gain he had is loss, but for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus. And that he needed Jesus' righteousness. God loves sinners. He loves to save sinners. He loves to confront them in their sin so that he can convert them by his grace. And so everyone in this room was at one time converted. And now look, we, we don't need to, one thing we gotta be aware of when we read this conversion story of the Apostle Paul is we all expect to be knocked off our feet in the same manner and it be a Damascus Road experience. But we know that that's not how every conversion happens. Many conversions are slow. You're, you, you, you hear the word of God. You're discipled. You're catechized. You're hearing these truths. And the spirit brings life at some point. You know, others, it's, it's a radical change at some point. And the reason I say this is we don't want to compare ourselves to others and others' testimonies and go, well, that, that didn't happen to me like that. Just praise God that he opened your eyes whenever he did. He does it in many ways. I mean, if you read through the book of Acts, and I would encourage you to do that, um, there's some conversions that happened before Saul where, you know, Lydia, she's out doing work and, and, and the Lord, you know, somebody comes up to her, shares a word with her, and the Lord gives sight. He, she, he gives faith. So I would encourage you to read, read through Acts and see these different uh, conversion stories, but everyone in this room was at one time converted or you were in still need of conversion. You need the power of God, the converting power of God. And I want you to know there is no hope. There is no hope for anyone apart from Christ. From the, from the greatest to the least, the youngest to the oldest, doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, none of that matters. Everyone in here needs the converting power of the Lord. Our primary need, it's not social acceptance. It's not more money, less wrinkles, a, a you know, slimmer waistband. Though I want that. That's not, that's not my main primary uh, need. Your primary, primary need is not good health, a high credit score, or for your team to finally make it to the World Series, or for your team just to make it back to the SEC tournament. That's not your main need. Your primary need is not more quiet times, or more volunteering, or more praying. Though those things are good, and we ought to do those things, that's not your primary thing. Those things are rubbish compared to Christ and knowing Him. May prayer... And meditation be a means to know Christ, not just a thing to check off the box. Everyone in this room, just as the Apostle Paul, our primary need is to have our sins washed away by the blood of Christ 
just like it was for the Apostle Paul. And to have a spotless righteousness that only comes uh, to you by faith. And some in here, you know, I don't want you to say, Josh, you don't understand. You don't understand how bad I've been. You don't understand the sick thoughts that go through my head. You don't understand the things that I've done. But I know what God's word says. I don't know everything about you. But I know what God's word says. And in his word, it says that this sick, murderous, blasphemer Saul, he received grace and mercy because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came into the world. Of whom Saul was the foremost, he received mercy to show the great patience and love of Jesus Christ. So there's no excuses of anyone in this room. Everyone in here is a sinner. You meet the qualifications like you are a sinner. And no one in here is too sinful to receive God's grace and his mercy. So there's no excuse. So I would encourage you, don't continue your road trip to Damascus. Don't continue on that way to destruction. Rest in, receive Jesus as he is freely offered to you in the gospel. And this brings us to our last point before we'll close. God loves to save sinners. He commissions them. He commissions them to go out. You know, this story of Paul's conversion is beautiful in and of itself. But if it ended with his conversion and not his commission, we would, we would never have known about it, right? Because Paul goes on to write most of the New Testament. You know, in, these final, in the final paragraphs of Acts 9, if you read through the final paragraphs that we did not read at the beginning and the remainder of the book as a whole, you'll see that Saul, later called Paul, that he was baptized, he was cleansed. It says he was cleansed of his sin and he was commissioned. So this great persecutor of God's people becomes persecuted for the gospel's sake, or for Christ's sake. His life is of no value to himself, but he goes on living his life for Jesus. He lives his life for Jesus, the one who has commissioned him to take the good news to the Gentiles. And so that's what you read at the end of Acts, um, after 9, probably about 12 and on, you see Paul's missionary journey to the Gentiles. To open, it says this, 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 this mission in Acts 26, it says it was to open the eyes of the Gentiles so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of uh, Satan to God, that the Gentiles might receive forgiveness of sins. And so we see Paul spending the rest of his life preaching and teaching the whole counsel of God that he might win others to Christ. His life was completely turned upside down by grace. And then he goes out and the Lord uses him to turn the world upside down. <clears throat> His life was completely turned upside down. And we all know this. If you have, have received the gospel message by faith and you've been saved by grace, you cannot continue to live 
the way that you once lived. Like it's paradigm shifting. I know we all want to, we, we want to wander back on that road trip. We want to wander back on that road that leads to destruction. We can't go back. And, and Christ won't let us go back. He holds us and he keeps us. We cannot continue to live the way that we did before. And some in here, you might say, well, we're not the Apostle Paul. We don't have the same commission. And I would say, you're right. We're not apostles. The, 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 the role of apostle, the office of apostle, is no longer in existence. Paul wrote a majority of the New Testament scriptures, and now the canon's closed. Nobody in here is writing new scripture. If you think you are, we, we need to have a meeting. We need to talk. The canon is closed. But we know from Jesus' command in Matthew 28 and from the example of the Apostle Paul that we're to make disciples of all nations as we go. And people cannot hear this good news of Jesus Christ if we're not uh, proclaiming it. You know, sometimes I think we pray and we hope that Jesus will visit that family member or that friend you know, if he would just do it, like send a bolt of lightning or a leaf to fall out of the sky and, you know, or maybe an airplane will fly by and tell them the message of the gospel. And it's like he's encouraging us, nudging us. Look, you share the gospel with them. I've put you in their life. You know, you think back to how the Lord has dealt with you. And so, look, some of you may have an experience like this where it's just a complete change, but most of us in here were loving. Uh, we, we were discipled by our families. We were uh, taken to VBS. The word was shared with us. And we can do that with others. So, uh, as we close out, it's, the, you know, it, it's easy for us in our in our, uh, what we know we've been commissioned to do, it's easy for us to fear man over fearing the Lord. I struggle with that. I struggle with the fear of man. But get this, before we leave, verse 5, look what he says to, to Saul there. After, after Saul had said, you know, uh, or he, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In verse 5, he says, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And so think of the implications of that. Was Jesus physically, like, is that, was, was Saul persecuted when he was persecuting those men and women? Was, was, how is he persecuting Jesus in that moment? And I want to encourage you with this. Jesus, as he commissions us, he doesn't save us and leave us to accomplish this by ourselves. He doesn't confront, convert, and commission us and then dip out. He sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and so unite us to himself. He never leaves you. He's always with you. When someone hurts you or persecutes you for the, the sake of the gospel, Jesus is there. They're persecuting Jesus. When you share that message with a friend and they reject the message, they're rejecting Jesus. He's with you. You're never alone. <clears throat> so those in here that are believers in Christ, God has loved you enough to confront you in your sin, to convert you by the power of his spirit, and now you are commissioned to be an ambassador 
and to take his message of salvation to your families and to the lost in a dying world with the very presence of God in you by the Spirit. And, and, and lastly, I'll, I'll, the, the, those in here who are not believers in Christ, I'm going to encourage you one more time. You may have been drugged here by a friend. You, you, you may have been drugged here by your parents. Or you're just interested to see what we've got going on here. And I don't want you to wait for some appearance in the sky. I, I, I don't want you to wait till you get a little older. I mean, who in their right mind would, would reject a free gift of infinite worth that is offered to them. We wouldn't turn it down. And so my encouragement to you is to not delay any longer. You take the offer while it stands now by faith. Christ says, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says it. He's not a liar. You come to him and believe in him. You're burdened with guilt. You're plagued with sin. And Jesus seeks to bear your burden. He seeks to cleanse you of the plague and all the while giving you the power to walk in newness of life. That's what he did to the Apostle Paul. That's what he did to us in here who are believers and countless others throughout the ages. God loves to save sinners for his own glory and their good. Let's pray. Um, Lord, thank you for thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimony of the Apostle Paul. Where now we have no excuse. The most vile in this world, in, in this room, have no excuse. You have said that you save sinners. You came to seek and to save the lost. And we all meet that condition. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone in here who does not know you, that you would help them, give them understanding, help them to see their sin, and help them to see Jesus as a loving friend who, who offers salvation, as the Lord who will lead them in this life. And, Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for all that you've given us here. Thank you for the people. Please help us to grow in our love for you and others. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.